Today's second reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1 and verses 6 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. When they came, he looked upon Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, from God our Creator, and the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us. I don't know about you, but I love a good story with good character development, good plots, good guys, bad guys, victors, nice tidy endings. But we know as adults that life is rarely that simple. I think one of the reasons I enjoy stories with excellent character development is that it helps me understand myself, the people I know and love, and the world around me. I recently started a call as the Associate Director of Leadership Circle, a very fancy title for being a fundraiser in the ELCA. In order to do my work, I need to know people's stories. I need to understand what makes them tick and what they love and care about. But I also want to be vulnerable and share with them who I am. When this little guy up here told me that Spider-Man was his favorite, I felt like if we had more time, I probably should tell him who my superhero favorite is. If you're curious, I've always been a fan of Wonder Woman. Learning something new is not easy. We're not going to be experts in the field at first blush. So when Pastor Mike called me this week to preach today, he gave me some choices. He said that I could preach the lectionary, which is absolutely one of my favorites, the Samaritan woman at the wall. He said I could pick my own text or I could wade into your series on neurodiverse characters in the Bible. 
I love a challenge, so I chose to carry on with the characters in the Bible because I was eager to learn something new, to return to an old character and a story I know well, but to look at it through different lenses. First, I have to tell you that in my church growing up, we did musicals in our church choir, and I'll never forget the one we did on David and Goliath. A third grade boy was cast as David, and as you might expect in northern South Dakota, he was blonde and blue-eyed. Mr. Coaster was cast as Goliath, and Mr. Coaster was a very scary older man who was a lawyer in town. And he was curly salt and pepper hair. He was as big as a linebacker. He had a loud, gruff voice, and his arms seemed really long to me. Now, I was a third grader, so he probably wasn't that big at all. Many people over the years have studied the Bible from a medical point of view, offering diagnoses and symptoms for the signs that appear to have afflicted most people, some of these characters that we know well from the Bible. The authors review the biblical characters in the Old Testament and offer newer insights into their neurological diseases and the things that made them the way they were. When we look at that battle between Goliath and David, we assume that Goliath probably suffered from acromegaly, which is similar to that giant syndrome that we know from watching Andre the Giant. He probably couldn't see very well, he probably couldn't move very fast. He probably wasn't very flexible. There's all kinds of things that we can look backwards and think about a particular character in the Bible. But let's be clear, as preachers, all I'm doing is using my pastoral imagination. I'm not making a diagnosis. We're just trying to see who these characters were and how they might have been neurodiverse, just like many of us. The Holy Bible, accepted by Christians all over the world as the Word of God, has through the ages remained relevant with its eternal message of love, peace, and hope. Various interpretations of the exact text of the Bible have arrived at by scholars and laypeople alike. The Bible isn't just a religious text. It isn't just spiritual. It's also a historical account of the Hebrew people in the... Old Testament, the birth of Christianity in the New Testament. And yet, we can correlate behavioral patterns of various biblical figures from the Old Testament and the New with proven neurological diagnoses of today. Isn't that amazing? Based on the historical account, we can make some assumptions about what was going on in their physical health. While many of us have talked about neurodiversity. You've talked about it some in this congregation and probably in other settings. And here at church, Pastor Mike is leading you through five Sundays in Lent talking about it more. Neurodiversity is about how not just our bodies are different, but about how brains and personalities look different too. It's not just about diagnosis all have different limitations and abilities. Our brains and our personalities are really complicated. 
often we view our personality traits as all good or all bad. And we tend to see biblical characters that way too. They're either good guys or bad guys. Some of my favorite TV shows are that way too. I love a good murder mystery when the good guys figure it out in the end. But if we cast someone in a light that they're all good or they're all bad, we're not seeing the full humanity of that one individual. We do that in the Bible. We often cast the Pharisees as all bad and the disciples as all good. The Pharisees' single-minded devotion to the law, in fact, was a very good thing. But they left no room for God. And then Peter, as a disciple of Jesus, was very bold. He became one of the first people to follow Jesus, to be the rock of the church, and yet he was always putting his foot in his mouth. His brashness led him to be too outspoken and to hurt people with his words. Biblical characters are nuanced just like you and me. There is no better example of a nuanced person than King David in the Bible. He was, in fact, the greatest king ever. The power given to him by God enabled him to go into battle. He slayed the giant. They won the victory. We mentioned earlier that there were all kinds of things that attributed to David triumphing over Goliath, such as the way his vision was blurred so that while David only had one shepherd's staff, the giant saw more than one. Because David could move faster, he was able to get closer before the giant could see him. And because David was neurodiverse, he was very brave. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone and slung it and smote Goliath on his head. And the stone sunk into his forehead. It was a very brave thing that David did. That same confidence later led him to do some very rash and unethical things. You might remember the story of David and Bathsheba and Uriah. David saw Bathsheba at a distance, and she was beautiful, and he wanted her for himself. So he sent for her and had her brought to the palace. He got her pregnant and knew that his sin would be discovered. So he called for Uriah to come home so that he might be with his wife. And when he would not do it because his soldiers wouldn't be able to have those same comforts, David had to come up with a different idea. So he sent Uriah, one of his generals, to the front lines, and Uriah died in battle. And David brought Bathsheba to his palace to be his wife. There's all kinds of things that are wrong with that story. And it was because of David's sense of self and his bravado that he felt like he could get away with those things. Later on, his best friend, Nathan, called him to account. He recognized the errors of his way and the sin that he had committed, and he repented. And he drew close to God again. And God and David's conversations and David's reliance upon God, the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sanctifier are evident in many of the Psalms that are attributed to David. 
So David was a warrior and a sinner and a repentant person and a poet. And God used David's genealogy to bring into the world God made flesh in Jesus Christ. Often our confidence as individuals leads us to carelessness and feelings of invincibility. For example, David convinced that one of the things that makes him recognized as good in the end is his confession and reliance on God. Willingness to acknowledge the challenges and the change rather than to repeat past mistakes. He listens to Nathan the prophet, and instead of trying to keep hiding his insecurities, he lays it all out, willing to see himself as flawed and yet still worthy of grace and love. Are we able to do that, to repent, to see ourselves differently, to share our honest, introspective reflection of our inner struggle? Go back again to think about how traits that we have as human beings and individuals are really value neutral. There isn't really anything that makes us all good or all bad, all invincible or incapable. Some of us might struggle to admit weakness. Some might see ourselves as completely good Others struggle to see themselves as anything but weak. But most of us go back and forth, capable and incapable, good and bad, saint and sinner. Boldness in today's world makes somebody good in business, but it can also lead us to trample others. Shyness can make life very difficult but it also can make us excellent listeners. Autism, which Pastor Mike says he thinks Pastor, or Pastor King David might have been on the spectrum. It was placed in the public eye in the movie Rain Man. Raise your hand if you remember the movie. It's really interesting. My kids are in their 17 and 19, 20-year-old, and they haven't seen all the movies, but they know a lot of the quotes, right? Before Rain Man, there was no popular conception of what autism looked like among the public or on screen. At that point, autism was an abstraction understood only by dedicated parents or specialized clinicians. In Rain Man, the widespread ignorance is exemplified by the moment when Charlie Babbitt Tom Cruise's character, attempts to consult a psychiatrist about his brother Raymond, and the nurse asks, he's artistic? Charlie replies, no, autistic. The nurse says, I'm not familiar with that. What is the exact nature of the problem? At the time, autistic's parents, autistic people's only advocates were their parents, and even this situation was far from a given. Autistic people were often institutionalized, Groups of parents fighting for their children's rights and freedoms had been working in the dark for decades. Then suddenly, everyone around them knew the word that had previously been theirs alone. Suddenly, everyone knew Raymond Bobbitt, and Babbitt quickly became a cultural shorthand for autism. 
Rain Man was also the birthplace of what has now come, become a common trope of autistic portrayals in film and TV, autistic savants. Not everyone is. The most recent incarnation is Sean Murphy, played by Freddie Highmore in The Good Doctor. The idea that all autistic people are geniuses or that they all have savant abilities as extraordinary humans, extraordinary memory, is a myth. A myth that is largely alive and kicking due today to Rain Man. And yet, we all understand a little bit better what's happening with people who are neurodiverse because of the way that we have seen people portrayed in the movies. Think about other movies that you know. One of my favorites, oh, it just went out of my head, Forrest, Forrest Gump, right? Like, we see people who are different on screens, in movies, and televisions, and it helps us understand ourselves, our neighbors, and our family members just a little bit more. Autistic people often seem helpless, but highly capable. Brilliant, but troubled. Sometimes the very things that we think might make somebody weak leads to wonderful good. Autistic people have discovered scientific things, uncovered biases, led to programming that runs our very phones, games that we enjoy. Single-mindedness in neurodiverse people can isolate, but it also leads to people being passionate experts who find new knowledge. Perspective matters. Traits are value neutral, but how we view and live with them makes a big difference. Is it an ability or a liability? In church, we teach to use person-first language. We talk about people who are poor rather than poor people. We talk about a person with leprosy rather than a leper. We talk about people who are unsheltered rather than homeless. And yet, if you watch some of the YouTube videos that autistic people have made to help educate folks, we might listen to the individual to understand that they prefer to use the adjective first. I am autistic. It's part of their identity. It's who they are, much like somebody in the blind community or the deaf community. If someone with autism introduces themselves as autistic, don't correct them. They might prefer to be autistic just like deaf and blind communities. Don't deny that it can be a disability, but that the disability makes them who they are. It is not anything to be ashamed of. Lots and lots of us have undisclosed or invisible disabilities, physical, mental, emotional differences that make navigating life more difficult. Our physical and mental and emotional health is something we rarely talk about. We talk at church, for example, about our spiritual lives, about our daily lives. You don't see on a Sunday morning that my family of four takes medicine for asthma, allergies, menopause, anxiety, diabetes, high cholesterol, and an IEP for dyslexia. You would see in my family on a Sunday morning a pastor, a council president, a musician, and a goalkeeper. Those things about us that others might see as liabilities make us the people that we are and shape us. 
to make a difference in the world around us. God made us who we are. God walks with us in the person of Christ through all of our challenges and opportunities. Studying this content this week and thinking about Bible characters like King David as neurodiverse has made me more aware and more appreciative of the accomplishments that God does with the broken and the flawed people that we are. That something we see and understand as a liability or diversity can often be used by God to accomplish great things. For example, nine years ago, my family and I were attending Salem Lutheran Church in Lenexa for the first time on Ash Wednesday. We didn't know what to expect, but I knew Pastor Dave and their youth director, John, and they were 10 minutes from our house, so I hoped that we would enjoy worship and that the people there would welcome us. And we weren't disappointed. We walked in and we sat in the back third of the sanctuary like good visiting Lutherans do. Immediately, a friend, Joyce, waved from the center aisle and said loudly, Hi, Pastor Jen! Welcome to Salem! So much for anonymity. Then, as the sanctuary filled up, I saw family units of all shapes and sizes, much like you, with kids and elderly and multi-generational groups. But the person who caught my eye the most was Ruth. Ruth was about 12 at the time, and she sat in the front row with her family. She spent as much time facing the congregation and waving at people as she did facing forward and looking at the pastor. Her friends and her fellow worshipers waved back, touched her on their way to communion, and hugged her after worship. I knew that Salem was a welcoming place where there's a seat for everyone because no one found Ruth's behavior distracting or uncomfortable. Now that Ruth is 20 and doesn't come to church every week, when she does come, she's welcomed with open arms. You might find her sacking groceries at the store in Prairie Village or watching anime on her phone. She's a true friend who makes a difference in my life and the world around her with her smile and a wave. May we make that kind of difference in the world around us by noticing the other, waving at them, and smiling. In Ruth, over the years, I have seen the grace and the love of God shining brightly. It's not that she doesn't struggle or create challenges for her parents like any 20-year-old who's living. Just like you and me, Ruth is both a sinner and a saint. She's been claimed by God in the baptismal promises that the congregation, the parents, and the sponsors made at her baptism. She's been water-washed and spirit-born. David, the king, the young boy who slayed the giant, the sinner, the penitent man, this person, a neurodiverse person created by God, was used by God to make a difference in the world, in human history. One of the greatest kings ever, God's grace and love reached through generations after him into the tiny baby born in the manger, Jesus Christ, who God claimed in a voice from heaven at his own baptism, this is my son. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. He welcomes us all. He welcomes the children. He welcomes the sinners. 
He welcomes those who are still on this journey, learning more about people who are different, and he walks with us on our daily journey. Jesus is here, and Jesus celebrates our diversity and uses our individual traits and character to make the church and the world a beautiful place. Thanks be to God.